0: How's everybody doing? <laughs> Sounds like a crowd that ate too much. Was gluttonous this week. That's okay. That's why we're in church, right? We ask for forgiveness of those things. Um, seriously, hey, everyone doing well, right? We're good. Good, good. Uh, glad you guys are here. Um, hey, listen, before I, I before I get into uh, the lesson a little bit today and kind of give you a recap and. And, and catch everyone up. I just, wanna, I just wanna preface the lesson today a little bit. If you've come to this church for any length of time, um, you know that, that we get into some very difficult stuff and, and we get very honest and uh, straightforward and, and you're kinda used to it. If you're newer to the church, you may not have, have, have experienced that yet, if you will. Us getting to kinda the hard stuff and, and some of the more brutal truths that the, that the Bible kinda brings up. Today's gonna be one of those days. And I wanna preface the lesson with, uh, I'm not trying to make myself a martyr or anything here, but I I love this church. I love you, I love people. Um, I sacrifice 52 weekends a year to do this. I sacrifice time for my family and for my kids, and I love you, and and I don't do this. I've not been made rich from this church. I haven't any of that stuff. I do it because I love the Lord, and, and I genuinely love you. Now, the reason I'm saying that is today I'm going to say some things that you will not like. Uh, you may disagree with him. You may uh, get your feelings hurt. You may think I'm a jerk. Um, but I want to tell you, my pursuit is of the truth. My pursuit is not to make you happy or, or to make you like me. My pursuit is to find what is true. And sometimes in the pursuit of finding what is true, it hurts. Sometimes it, it, it pulls things out of us that cuts at us, it corrects us, and reproves us, and disciplines us, and we don't like that. And sometimes society has has made a way that we do things that is contradictory to what the Word says, and so when the Word speaks something, um, we push up against it, right? It's not what we're used to. It's not what we've been following. So we're going to go there today. That's where we'll end up at the end of this. And um, I think you'll like chapter 9 of Revelation. It's a fascinating chapter. There's a lot of controversy and conspiracy theories and debate about this chapter. We're in the the deep waters of Revelation. Uh, But the word is a little offensive today. And I'll pull out some things about our modern culture that that I think John is talking about at the end of chapter 9. And I guarantee you, some of you in this room will be offended today. But I want you to know before you get offended, my goal is not to offend my goal is to highlight the truth and if the truth offends you that's not my fault and so that's my goal today Um, I think we need to be mature enough adults though to where we can step back and look at ourselves objectively and we live in a culture of offense and we need to do something about that as Christians okay so anyways I preface all that just to say uh, at the end some of you will probably not be uh, fans of Corey Trimble, and, and uh, you're not here to be a fan of mine. Um, again, we're to pursue the truth, okay? So let me catch up to speed real quick on where we're at. <laughs> Instantly, you guys are like, we could have missed today and just ate more turkey. But uh, you're here, <laughs> so it's too late. Um, in, cha- in chapter 5 of Revelation, I know I don't have it up there, but I should have put it up there. In chapter 5 of Revelation... John talks about as he's in heaven, he sees God holding a scroll. Now, this scroll is important. God gives this scroll to Jesus Christ and the scroll that he gives him is is sealed up with seven different seals. Now in chapter 6, Jesus starts to break the seals of the scroll and he unravels the scroll. Now the contents of that scroll are the future it's how the histor- i'm sorry the future of mankind is going to play out it's how the end of the heavens and the earth that we know are going to come to an end and god's going to create a new heaven and a new earth it's the judgments of god it's the rewards of god it is revelation right it is this unveiling this unfolding So we go through this first series of events as Jesus breaks these seals and we see what happens. We take a break in chapter 7. We hear about a remnant of people that are on planet earth that God has promised to preserve until he comes back. We also see this great multitude in heaven, these people worshiping, and the number keeps getting bigger and bigger because people are being added to this great multitude during the great tribulation because they're being killed for their faith. We get into chapter 8 that we did a couple of weeks ago, and we get into the second series of events, the trumpets, which are much more intensified than the seals, if you were here for that. These ecological catastrophes, things that happen with the oceans and the rivers and the islands and the mountains. And we end uh, chapter 8... There is this angel that is flying overhead, looking down on humanity, saying, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of what the next three trumpets will bring. And we talked about that word, "woe" is translated to catastrophe, that God has sent an angel to say, catastrophe, 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 in hopes that humanity will repent for their sin. But we've yet to see that. Now we get into the fifth and sixth. Trumpets, And we're going to see that this is even intensified even more, okay? So we're going to get into that a little bit today. Now, you should have a notes handout in front of you. has everything I'm going to say are in those notes handout. I think we've got it down to like a six-point font. Eventually, we're going to hand out like magnifying glasses at the door so you guys can read those. They'll all be on the screen, everything I'm going to say. If you have a Bible, we're in the very last book of the Bible. We're in chapter 9. We'll do the whole thing. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app super handy. If you click on service times and sermon notes, get all the notes, all the scripture, very, very convenient. Okay. So you should have everything you need. Okay. So I'm going to pray. We're going to get into chapter nine. We'll talk about some really, really interesting and controversial stuff. And um, you guys can go home and eat the, la- the the rest of your turkey and ham and all the good stuff that you guys have. Okay. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Just want to tell you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the last week, Lord, thank you, God, that we live in, in, in a free nation, a free society. Thank you, God, that we have too much to eat. Thank you, God, that you've blessed us not only with literal family, but with spiritual family. God, we pray for every church in our city. Pray for every nonprofit in our city. Pray, God, that you open up our ears and our eyes today, Lord, that we can hear what you have to say, see what you're doing, Lord, and that we can be respondent, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Keep your hand on me, Lord. And give me wisdom with everything I say today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get into chapter 9 here. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft." Then locusts came up out of the smoke onto the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on earth. They were told not to harm the grass or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion, when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So in chapter eight, again, we talk about an angel that flew over, warned humanity that they must repent because the next three trumpets, the next three events are going to be extremely severe. Now, the fifth and sixth trumpets that we're gonna cover today, these are supernatural invasions during the last seven years as life as we know it. This is going to be a huge demonic invasion on people on earth. Now the first four trumpets that we covered a couple of weeks ago, those indirectly affected humans. These different things that are happening geologically, they, they, they kind of, are ecologically, they indirectly affected humans, though they did affect them, right? Now these last three trumpets are going to directly affect people. They're going to be woes curses from God directly sent on people. Now, the fifth one starts off. It says, the fifth trumpet blows, a star falls from heaven. Now, this is not a meteorite. This is not a shooting star. This is an angel. And this angel is sent down from heaven with a key to unlock the abyss. And he's going to open up this abyss, and demonic forces are going to come out of this abyss. Now, we're going to see this again. Towards the end of Revelation, in chapter 20, we're going to see the same angel in this same abyss, and he's going to temporarily lock up Satan in this same abyss. Now, the angel is given direction from God to unleash this smoke that's going to turn the sun and the air dark. Now, some people argue, is this a literal smoke or is this a figurative smoke? Some people believe it's literal because of all the things that are going on on earth. The smoke from volcanic ash and all the different ecological catastrophes that are happening. But more than likely, this is a figurative smoke. This is a cloud of demons that are coming up out of hell. Now, another thing that we need to know is when the Bible says that heaven is up and hell is down, I I think you guys know this, you're a smart crowd, we know that hell is not literally below us. I mean, like, if you start digging into the earth, you'll get to the core. It'll feel like hell, but it's not hell. It's just the core of the earth, right? If you go straight up, you're not going to hit heaven. You're going to hit outer space, and you're going to freeze to death because it's very cold in space. And, and so that's, heaven's not directly above us. This is called the theological geography of the universe. It's a spiritual up and down, not a literal up and down. So there are some weirdos out there that think that there's an abyss somewhere on planet earth that holds all these demons, and it's a, it's a spiritual thing not a literal thing, okay? So this angel opens this abyss, this smoke rolls out, and it says that locusts come out of the smoke. Now, of course, this is not locusts like we think of locusts, this is demons. But locusts on earth, if you've ever seen video footage of locusts uh, coming in these huge waves, they don't hurt people. They'll fly right around people, but they go to all vegetation, and they absolutely destroy it. I mean, it's crazy to see footage of locusts do this. Now these demons that are going to be unleashed, we'll call them locust demons just for the sake of our conversation today, they don't go after vegetation, they don't go after things of the earth, they go directly to people, to hurt people. And it says that they're like scorpions. Scorpions hurt but they're not venomous, they're not deadly. And so they're going to sting, they're going to hurt, but they're not going to kill. Now what this is referring to, this is referring to spiritual warfare. This is demonic oppression. This is spiritual torture that there's going to be more of this the closer Jesus Christ comes back. Now listen, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, you don't have to be worried about this. The only people that this special class of demon can can go after and hurt are people that are not sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to worry about demons hurting you. The only time that we know of in the Bible that that, that demons had permission to do this is in the book of Job. So we don't have to be worried about demonic forces hurting us if we're filled with God's spirit. Now, there are instances in the Bible where people who are demonically possessed could hurt other people. And I think we probably see that in society more than we realize that people are demonically possessed and they can hurt people. There's actually a story of Jesus traveling in the Gospels When he's going through a certain area, and it says that no one would travel through this area because there are two demon-possessed men who would hurt people. They were violent, so people didn't go that direction because these demon-possessed men would hurt and kill people. So it is possible for demons to hurt us if they're inside another person and they use that body to do so. So why does John use the analogy of locusts? maybe the reason why John uses the analogy of locusts is because just like locusts have a lifespan of five months, these demons will have five months to go out and to torture humanity. They will torture humanity so much that people during this time will beg to die, but it says that death will elude them. Now, is it possible that God is going to make suicide an impossibility, that people will try, but they will fail, and and maybe that during this time they will repent for the things that they've done wrong. It doesn't allude to that. What it says at the end of this chapter, unfortunately, is that these people will not repent. And the only reason that death eludes them is that they're too afraid to take their own life. Now, we've seen something like this in the Bible before. If you go back to the book of Exodus, we see that when God was inflicting the Egyptians with plagues, God was doing everything he could to get the Pharaoh and the Egyptians to recognize him in turn, but we know how that worked out. The Pharaoh did not do that, and this group of people that we're going to be discussing today will also not repent for the things that they've done, okay? We continue on with the fifth trumpet. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Something like golden crowns were on their heads. Their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions, so that with their tails they had the power to harm people. For five months. They had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollon. The first woe has passed, there are still two more woes after this. Now, here's what's interesting about verse 7 through 12. If you have ever wondered what demons look like, John describes demons. In this this passage of scripture. Now, it's probably figurative. They probably don't literally look like this. But as he saw these demons, he did his best to explain how terrifying demonic influence is if one is not sealed with God's Spirit. He says they look like horses prepared for battle, shows that they're strong, shows that they have endurance. They had crowns of gold, which crowns indicate victory. They're going out to torture mankind, and they will be successful in torturing mankind. They have faces like humans. I find this one very, very interesting. Oftentimes when we see depictions of the devil, it's like a legend, right? Tim Curry, all of you who are over like 35 know what I'm talking about. If the devil really looked like that, no one would follow him, right? I mean, he's terrifying looking. But we see all throughout the Bible that Satan is subtle. Genesis chapter 3, and demons have faces like humans, which means there is a deception with them. Maybe they're not always scary to look at, and that's how they slip into our lives. Hair like women's hair. If you study history, there was a group of, of warriors from Iran called the Parthians, the Parthian Empire. They would purposely grow their hair very, very long, so when they fought in battle, it was an intimidation factor. It was fierceness. And he says that these demons had a similar thing. Teeth like lions shows that they're aggressive. Chests like, uh, I'm sorry, teeth like lions, chests like iron indicates that they are hard to penetrate, they're hard to fight against. Wings like that of many chariots gives us this imagery of war. They are out to do battle, spiritual battle. Stingers like scorpions shows that they will torture, but they will not kill. Scorpions can't kill, they're not venomous, but they hurt. So they will sting, but they will not kill. We also see that there are ranks of demons. And so just like we have seen ranks of angels so far in Revelation, now we see ranks of demons. And the leader of this group of demons, in Hebrew his name is Abaddon, in Greek his name is Apollon, and that simply means destruction. And I think the word play is interesting here. The only way for us to avoid destruction is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way for us to avoid this demonic influence is we must be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, next part. The sixth angel blew his trumpet and from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God, I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard the number. This is how I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and from their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, because their tails, which resemble snakes, have heads that inflict injury. Now, if you've been with us for a while, in chapter 6 and chapter 8 and now chapter 9, we have talked about this golden altar that is in heaven. Now, in chapter 6, we talked about this is where the blood of the martyrs, the souls of the martyrs, where they reside, okay? Now, in chapter 9, the altar speaks, speaks for God. And says, release the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, these are not angels. These are fallen angels. These are demons. And they're going to lead another kind of demon into war across the great uh, river Euphrates. Now, just to give you an idea of what this altar looks like that we've talked about now for three different chapters... The altar would have been a big gold altar, It would have had a grate on top, and you would make a sacrifice in the tabernacle or the temple. You would lay the body of the sacrifice on this grate and the blood would go down into the altar. So symbolically, or maybe literally, there is an altar like this in heaven right now. And the martyrs are kind of in this VIP section around this this altar, okay? this altar speaks. And it talks about the great river Euphrates. Now what's this all about? The Euphrates was the place of the Garden of Eden at the corner of the Tigris and Euphrates River, according to the Bible, that's where the Garden of Eden is in modern-day Iraq. That's where Babylon was. The Euphrates River was a strategic military river. The Romans used it, the Persians used it, let me show you a map real quick. What makes this river so important, especially for the Jewish people, once upon a time, the Jewish people's land extended all the way to the Euphrates River, almost to the Euphrates River. And the Euphrates River would protect the Jewish people, the people of God, from any attack from the east. And so this was kind of a natural way to protect God's people. No one could cross the Euphrates and really come and and hurt people who are on the west of it. So what is going to happen However it happens, we're not exactly sure, but four demons will be unleashed to bring an army across the Euphrates River. Now, if you've ever heard much about uh, the book of Revelation, this 200 million person army is very, very famous and there's so much speculation about it. John says that it will be mounted troops and they will kill one third of the human race. Now, is this a literal army or is this a metaphorical one? More than likely, what most scholars believe is it will be a literal army, human beings, people, but they are demonically possessed. Now, if one just thinks that is outrageous, think about the Holocaust. If you don't think there was demonic influence in the Holocaust, you're not a spiritual person. The devil was definitely working when six million Jews were slaughtered and incinerated, okay? There was evil in that. In the 20th century, 100 million people died by the hands of radical socialists, right, and communists. So a lot of destruction, a lot of bad stuff happened. Very, very evil just in the last 100 years. So this is not anything that is out of the realm of of reality or possibility. But is it possible? I'm talking about an army this size. Some people think this could be demons that were unleashed that do have the power to kill. But the Bible doesn't support that. Nowhere in the Bible do we hear of demons killing humans. We just, we just don't see that. So more than likely, this is a godless group of people who are doing the will of Satan. So again, is an army this big even a possibility? Well, according to stats, the biggest standing army on planet Earth right now is China's. They boast anywhere from 2.1 to 4 million people. North Korea boasts 6 million, but like North Korea boasts a lot of things that aren't true. So anyways, the biggest army in the world right now is China, and it is really, really far from being 200 million people. Now, as we go through Revelation, we will see that a bunch of nations will join together, but even if they all join together, 200 million people is, is really, it's not a possibility anytime soon. Now, before I show you this next slide, I want you to know, because it's very controversial, right? But we just, we have to, we have to pursue truth. I want you to know that 90% of all Islamic people that you meet are good, taxpaying, wonderful people to be around. We may disagree theologically, but they're most of the time very, very good people. But there's a certain percentage of Islam, the fastest growing and second largest religion on planet Earth, there is about eight to 10% according to the US government that are radical jihadists. They will gather together, they will blow you up, they will blow me up, they will kill everyone in their path, in the name of Allah. So right now there are 1.8 billion Muslims on planet Earth. If we were to say that roughly 8 to 10% of them are radical jihadists that will kill people for their faith, we are dangerously close to 200 million people. It's about 180 million right now, if you were to calculate that. Corey, are you saying that Muslims are going to be the ones to do this? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying, though, that it is a possibility that a group of people could come together with 200 million of them and do a lot of damage on planet Earth. There is a possibility of that happening relatively soon, okay? So again, John zooms in. He's talking about this second group of demons he focuses in. He says that they have breastplates that are red, blue, and yellow. Now, people who are always looking for a sign, they're, they're, you know, you're Googling right now, what national flags are red, blue, and yellow? There it is, Corey. You've got it. That's not what it's referring to. This is literally the color of fire, smoke, and sulfur. That's where these colors come from. It's not a national flag. Their heads of horses were like heads of lions, It shows that they are brutal, that they're strong. From their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. This could be modern weaponry. This could be tanks, this could be helicopters, this could be airplanes, or it could be some kind of supernatural plague. It says they have tails that resemble snakes. Now this is different than scorpions. Snakes can be venomous, they can be deadly. So the second group of demonic influence will have the ability to kill, not just hurt, They will kill people. So here's the main part so far. This first group of demons that we talked about, we'll call them locust demons, right? They have the power to oppress, they have the power to torture but not kill. The second group of demons that are unleashed from the Euphrates River, it says, will possibly possess an an army of 200 million people that will come west and they will kill a third of humanity. This attack will be on the Jews, It will be on nominal Christian nations, and it will probably affect believers as well, okay? Now, let's see the last part here. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk and they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now if you've been with us for the book of Revelation, we've asked this question a thousand times. What will it take? What will it take to get people to acknowledge God and repent of their sins? So after the sixth trumpet, one third of humanity is murdered They are killed. And it still says that people will not repent of the things that they've been worshiping of. Why? Well, many times with many people, we've become so hardened by sin. We've been so enamored with sin. We're so distracted by sin. We're so focused on sin that we can't see straight. We can't hear right. We can't concentrate. We become arrogant people. We've become so hardened by sin that we refuse to repent. Other people have fallen in love with the darkness. Corey, that's crazy, is it? Look at your society. Look at our attraction to violence. Look at our attraction to sexual deviation. Look at our attraction to things that are dark. We've become in love with the darkness, so much so that we don't even want to pursue the truth anymore, and we refuse to repent to God for the things we've done. Even more than that, John says that we're following useless gods. Now, if you study human history, all throughout human history, we have manufactured, we have created things to worship. From our hands, we've made things to worship. Even biblically, (coughs) Abraham, Abraham, before he was Abraham, his job was to make idols that he would sell to people and they would worship in their home until he had a revelation of the true God. Now, I know in the United States, we're not all sitting in our home with little shrines to false gods. You know, they do that in India, and I'm not trying to be insensitive or anything, but in India, where they have 330,000 different gods, when you go over there and they worship Ganesha and Brahma and Vishnu and Krishna, and the list goes on and on and on, they do that. But in the United States, we don't worship things like that. We worship cars, and we worship sports, and we worship fame and fortune, and we worship sex, and we worship drugs, and we worship partying, right? And what's amazing to me is John says this is fascinating, because these gods can't see, they can't hear, they don't have any capability of helping you in any way, yet we continue to worship things that don't serve us. And so it's like if you're going through a divorce, but you love your car, right? You don't walk out to your Mercedes, and you're like, what do I do now, Mercedes? It doesn't speak to you. It doesn't talk to you. It doesn't empathize with your needs. It doesn't serve you. These are gods that we make. And so when our life is falling apart, we keep running to things like drugs and running to things like sex, and it just destroys us even more and more and more. So these demonic things that we engage in are the same things that are absolutely destroying us and crushing us. So verse 20 and 21 hit on all Ten Commandments. It doesn't say it verbatim right there in those passages, but it hits on them. See, Jesus simplified the Ten Commandments in the gospel. He said the Ten Commandments really encompass two ideas. Love God and love people. So the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with other people. And as John makes this list of things that we would not repent of, it violates the first four, our relationship with God, and it violates the last six, our relationship with other people. But he doesn't stop there. And now here comes the offense alert. He goes even further, and he mentions this word that I find fascinating. The first time I studied Revelation in detail was 2010, almost nine years ago. And I came across this word sorcery. You guys are like, that's right, get them, Harry Potter, right? That's not what it's talking about right here. It has nothing to do with Harry Potter. The word sorcery right there is from the Greek word pharmakias. It's where we get our word pharmacy. What John is alluding to at the end of this chapter is there is going to come a time when society will have an epidemic of drug use and they will refuse to repent for it. It's fascinating to me And this is where it gets so offensive. But we've become a culture that is doped up. We get sad and we pop a pill, right? We have marital issues and we pop a pill. Our kids play too much and because we don't want to be active parents, we get a doctor to give them a pill so they'll be docile and go over there. Psychology Today, a couple of years ago, put out an article that said boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed with ADD than girls. And the, the article goes on to say that basically what's happening, this is not a Christian publication, it's psychology today, that nowadays in our society, parents just don't want to deal with boys. Boys are running around the house, they're jumping off couches, like, they're like kicking stuff and fighting and getting muddy and dirty and all this stuff. And parents say, well, there's some problem with my kid. Dope them up and stick them in front of an Xbox so I can, like, get some stuff done, right? And this magazine article said, there's nothing wrong with your boy. They're just boys. Let them play outside. Let them feel the sun. Stop feeding them so much sugar, which leads to depression, and feed them this thing called a vegetable. (laughs) And then if you'll let these kids play, if you'll feed them a good diet... If you'll pray with them, if you'll teach them the Word of God, if you'll tell them to lean on the strong tower that is Jesus Christ, you'll realize that there's nothing wrong with your boy. Listen, nothing wrong with your boy. There's something wrong with our culture. There's something wrong with our parents. There's something wrong with us. We've become a culture that has said, instead of dealing with the problem, let's just numb it Corey. Let me read you something. The medical journal called Patient's Preference and Adherence did a study on people who take antidepressants for more than five years. Here's what they came up with. 72% of them have sexual problems, which without getting graphic, means the men are not able to have sex and the women are not able to reach a climax, essentially, because of the antidepressants. 72%. 65% gain weight, one of the leading causes of depression. 65% feel emotionally numb. 54% don't feel like themselves. 46% have a reduction of positive emotions. 43% feel addicted. 36% care less about other people. And almost 40% are suicidal. Listen, I'm not against medicine. My wife has a degree in chemistry and biology. My sister in law is a doctor. My mother-in-law has a master's degree in medicine. My other uncle is an optometrist. We have all kinds of medical people in our house. I'm not against medicine. I take antibiotics. I get vaccinated. I do all those kinds of things. But listen, when we become a culture that instead of dealing with the things that come up in our life, we just want to pacify it. That's why everyone wants to make marijuana legal. That's why all of us want to smoke dope. It's the same thing as drinking a fifth of Jack. Instead of dealing with this sadness, I'll just drown it. I'll just smoke it away. I'll just pacify it in some way. It's fascinating to me. I had a young man come up to me a couple of years ago. His mother had died several years ago, and he said, my mom died. I was extremely sad. I went to the doctor, and you guys know this, doctors don't don't tell you what you need. They tell you whatever you want because we have these evil pharmaceutical companies like McKesson that funnel all of these opiates and everything else to these people and all these antidepressants to people that don't need it because people are getting rich off of it. And so you have this young man whose mother died, and he said, I was sad. And I told him, I said, you're supposed to be sad. Your mother just died. There's nothing wrong with your brain. There's nothing wrong with your emotions. This is why we have the church. This is why we have good counseling. This is why we have the word of God. This is why we have meditation and prayer because these emotions are real and it's part of the human experience. And we're supposed to go through these things at times. It's through those times of pain and suffering and hardships that we become better people. Now listen, does that mean if you're on any kind of medication that I'm against you? No, 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 no. But I'm saying so quickly, we make God an afterthought. So quickly, we make God something that we'll do that maybe in a couple of tries, or if this doesn't work, or if that doesn't work. And maybe God should be our first thing that we run to. Maybe we've become a society that has masked the problem without dealing with it. Here's the point at the end of this chapter. At the end of this chapter, listen, wouldn't one think it's insane? There's 7.5 billion people on planet Earth. Let's say right now a third of them died. 2.5 billion. That's almost 10 times larger than the United States. Think about that many people dying. Wouldn't it be insane not to acknowledge God in that time? That's insane, right? Here's the thing, though, about sin. Sin. Whenever there is a distance, whenever there is a chasm between us and God, we don't think rationally, we think irrationally. Let me give you an example. When a man is disconnected from God, he'll give up his beautiful wife, his wonderful children, his business that he's built in order to have sex with that secretary one time. That's insane. That's crazy. It's irrational. I've met young women who are beautiful, gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous who will sell their bodies on the street for crystal meth. It's insane. That's not rational. That's crazy. But that's what sin does to us. It makes us think in a way that doesn't make any sense. And when we're immersed in sin, when we're distant from God, we do things that are insane, like put all of our hopes and dreams into a house, or a car, or a career. We put all of our hopes and dreams into being a celebrity or let everyone know who we are. I just went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody the other night. Fantastic! I'm a good dad. I raised my kids on Queen. We've done a good job in my home. We own all the stuff on vinyl and everything. But you know what I told my, my nine, almost ten year old daughter the other day, who knows everything about Freddie Mercury? I said, "Listen, because we we have these conversations. Dad, do you think he's in heaven?" I say, "Aya." He was a Zoroastrian. You can look that up. It's not Christian. He was a Zoroastrian who was very, very promiscuous and died at a young age because of his sinful lifestyle. I'm not his judge, Aya, but by the looks of the evidence, I would say, no, he's not in heaven. He sung in front of 85,000 people at Wimbledon. He was probably one of the greatest songwriters that have ever lived, one of the most talented vocalists and performers you will ever see. But what good does it do for a man to gain the entire world and sacrifice his soul? So as much as I love that music, I look at my daughter and say, that's not what you want to be. That's that's irrational. To pursue those things, to pursue those accolades, to pursue that attention, but to sacrifice your relationship with God doesn't make any sense. And the very things that we worship, the very things that we're longing for, the very things, I'm not trying to pick on Freddie Mercury, but the very things that he longed for, the fame, the fortune, the attention, is what got him. It's what took his life. And we do the same things. The same things that we run after and we pursue are destroying us. The freedoms that we keep thinking we're having, right? Legalize all the drugs, make all kinds of sexual freedoms, choose whatever you want to do. And the more choices we have, the more suicide rates in the United States go out the roof. Fascinating. The more freedom we get, the more we are killing ourselves. The more unhappy we are. The more families get divorced or just don't get married at all. So all of these things that we're running after are not serving us. They're destroying us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, we have to be humble enough that until we get to a point that is so far that after 2.5 billion people lose their lives that we become so hardened and so distant from God that we still won't acknowledge God, you and I need to catch ourselves now. And we need to ask ourselves, are we going down a road That is going to prohibit us from even hearing the truth? Have we been listening to so many lies? Have we been indulging ourselves in so many things that are evil that we are beyond the capability of even hearing what is true, hearing what is right? what are we placing our trust in? What voices are we listening to? What are we indulging ourselves in? And now let me tell you what will happen if we don't get a grip on ourselves right now and take this seriously. Paul said, because people did not find it worthwhile to acknowledge God, Because people didn't find it worthwhile to put God in their wheelhouse, in their knowledge, in their brain. Because people didn't find it worthwhile to pray, or read their Bible, or have conversations about Christ, or to meditate on him, or to go to church. Because they didn't find it worth their time, God eventually gave them over to a worthless mind. A mind that is incapable of even recognizing what is right and what is wrong. This is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What that means is this. There is only one sin that God will not forgive. It is the sin that we will not ask for forgiveness for because we're too arrogant. That is the unforgivable sin. You can murder. You can do everything else, all the evil things you can think of, and God will forgive you if you are humble enough to ask. But when we have followed useless God so long that we don't even recognize that we're doing anything wrong, God cannot forgive sin where people will not ask for his forgiveness. A worthless mind. I prayed all week. God to give me a word of encouragement for you. I don't know if maybe I was praying for the wrong thing. I I know this doesn't come off encouraging. But let me tell you this. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you have gone to everything else to escape reality. I don't care if you have murdered and cheated and stolen. I don't care what you've done if you will be humble enough to say, God, I was wrong, he will instantly forgive you. There are some of you in this room who have have, joy and contentment has been elusive. You've just not been able to find it. It's not because God doesn't want joy in your life. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a natural byproduct of being close to God is joy. And maybe some of you have run to useless things to find joy. But according to scientific research, it's not working. This isn't a Christian group that did these studies. These are doctors. These are psychiatrists. And the road we're going on right now is not giving us the results that we're looking for. So I ask you, is there another option? There is. But that option is contingent on you and I being humble and saying, God, I'm lost. Let me tell you this, and I'm rambling. This season, before we start the new year, if you will decide to take the road less traveled, if you will decide to make it worthwhile to make God a part of your knowledge, listen, parents, I know it's hard. I know you're busy. But don't stick your kids in front of the TV and let that raise your child. Go outside. Run around with them. Pray with them. Talk with them. Take them out. Make them a deeper part of your life. Maybe you'll see that you don't need to drug your kid. Maybe you just need to raise your kid. Maybe you just need to pour into them. Do that with your marriage. Do that with your own relationship with God. Make it worthwhile to put God in your knowledge and see if God doesn't change your life. See if God doesn't help you and liberate you and give you a true freedom. God loved us so much that he sent his only son that if we will just believe in him, we will have everlasting life. Would you bow your heads with me, Please. I feel like maybe some of us need to go into a season of kind of resetting. You know, maybe some of us need to go home and write a list of the things that are most important to us, and maybe we need to shift around the list. Maybe some of you need to get in your car today, put your kids in the back, your husband or your wife, and maybe you just need to go for a drive. Maybe you need to turn the radio off and... Maybe some of you need to find a room in your house and just sit quietly for a second. Man, maybe some of you need to lay down on your face and say, God, I don't know what to do anymore. Maybe some of you have lost the will to live fascinating that suicide sparks this time of year. <sighs> Maybe some of you have pursued things that are not serving you. They're killing you. And you got to do whatever you got to do to let those things go. God loves you I don't know how else to encourage you anything more than that. The God that spoke the stars into the sky, the God that created all the things that are necessary for us to live on this earth, he loves you. His son died for you. All around this room we have communion. I implore you, I beg you, I plead with you. Take a minute and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me, I need you. And then get communion. And when you taste that bread, when you taste that juice, know, know that while we were still sinners, God gave his only son because he he loves you. If you need prayer, there's men and women at the front, they wanna pray with you. They're not perfect, but they're your brothers, they're your sisters, they're your family. Dave is up here to my right, your left. If you have any questions, if you're new or maybe you're not a believer, but you're interested, come up here and talk to Dave. Lord Jesus, God, I love this church. Father, I love, Lord, the truth. I love what you're trying to to, to do with us, God. Lord, my prayer is that we'll be humble. Lord, that if we need to hit our knees or lay on our face or walk around in the woods or whatever we need to do, God, to get alone with you. God, I pray that you reset us, Lord. Lord, make it to where it's worthwhile in our minds, God, to put you in our knowledge, to focus on you. Forgive us, God, and heal us and Bring us joy, God. Lord, touch my brothers, touch my sisters. God, I love these people so much. Bless us as we continue to move on this season, God. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.